All right, good morning. How many of y'all just found out that you were a Rio classic? I'm still processing that, man. I'm going, wait a minute. Can we do a push-up competition to determine this? Like, wow. Well, we have missed the last couple of Sundays. We were, and this has never happened before, but we would do it again. We were actually given a riverboat cruise, and we went down the Columbia River, like in the states of Washington and Oregon, while I was reading this book on Lewis and Clark, and it was an amazing, incredible experience. Uh, but we had to be in the airport like at a 5 o'clock in the morning on a Sunday. That's fun. And then we flew back into town like a week later, Actually, at like 12.20 a.m. on Tuesday is when we landed. I went to bed at like 2 a.m. And then I came into work, you know, like at 10 a.m. because I I was tired. And I saw my son-in-law who had preached one of the previous two weeks when we were gone. And he said, man, he goes, I am so glad you saved this last passage of Scripture in our study of the parables of Jesus for yourself. And I thought, why? (laughs) You know? Oh no, because I planned this out months ago and I hadn't looked at it and then I looked at it and then I understood why he said that. So I don't know if you guys have been doing your personal worship this week. I hope you do. It is on our free phone app, and it comes out on Monday, and then Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, we break the passage of Scripture into five different segments, add stuff to it, study questions, model prayers, It's all for you, and it's all on our app. But if you've been doing that, you know that we come in this final statement, this final piece of our study of the parables of Jesus to honestly probably the most intense parable that he gives. It is super intense. I'm just going to let you know that up front. Like all week long, I've been praying, dear Lord, I need like a story or something. I need some illustrations, anything remotely humorous that I can say that we can just throw into this because I feel like we're going to be tense, tense, tense. And somewhere there's got to be a commercial break. And honestly, I've started the message. I'm still praying that thus far. I got nothing. So here's what we're going to do. Every once in a while, we're just going to stop. We're going to call a timeout. We're going to stop and breathe. That's it. Breathe, and I'm going to instruct you on how to do this so that it's actually helpful to you, okay? Because when you get anxious, where do you breathe? All up in here. You're like, it's why your breath is short. It's why it feels like you can't catch your breath, and then that just makes it worse, and then that just makes it worse. And now, a good breath is a belly. It starts here. Like you just put your hand on your stomach, and you, through the nostrils, right? Standing four count. Oh, what goes out? The stomach, then the chest, the shoulders come. That's when you know you did it right. And then you just let it out. Ah, there it is. And everything feels a little bit better. We're just going to stop and we're just going to breathe together occasionally during the course of this message. And if you just need to call your own time out and have a breath, knock yourself out. But here's the thing. I want you to know that if you are a believer in Christ, like if that is your identity, he is alive actually and well in here, you got nothing to be worried about. It's all good. You will not need any breaths at all. You're going to be like, no, praise Jesus, we're moving on. This is no big deal. Carry on. But here's what this story is intended at least in part to do. What did I say? I said, if you have faith in Jesus. It's intended to help you figure that out. Do I? How do I know? So what is Jesus doing in this super intense story? What he's doing is he is looking forward in time to the final end of all things. Like he comes to the final judgment. I just want to stop there and say, you know, I take a breath because that's intense. Like, oh, Tom, I don't like judgment. Okay, while you're breathing, let me push back on that for a second. You totally like judgment. 
You are all about justice. Everyone everywhere wants justice. Everyone everywhere wants judgment. We don't want it for ourselves, but we for sure want it for a whole lot of other people. Do we not? God comes to us and he says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And I got to tell you, when Jesus sits on his glorious throne, as we're going to hear in a second, and he judges the nations, I mean, there are some folks on the list that if he gives a pass to, we're going to be upset about. Some of them, you know, like just historically evil, awful people. Hitler, Stalin, maybe Putin at this point. I mean, we're watching what's happening in Ukraine and we're going, I don't know that enough bad stuff now can happen to this man and his life to make up for all of the damage and all of the destruction and all of the just the horrific things that are happening there right now. So I'm thinking when he stands before Jesus, if he doesn't, you know, drop the hammer, then he's not just but he's altogether just. And then we have our own little list, a list of people who aren't famous to anybody but us, but they are certainly famous to us. And we're like, yeah, 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 yeah. You're not going to get away with this. You're not going to go because my God says that vengeance is mine. I will repay. We, we want justice. We're all about judgment. We're going to be disappointed in the end if it doesn't happen. We just don't want it for ourselves. But is that not the glory of being a follower of Christ? The gospel in part is that God so loved you that he became one of us. The God-man, the one with an infinitely valuable, infinitely righteous life, he lived the perfect life that none of us have lived. And then he willingly gave himself over to receive the full weight of the justice of the judgment of God for all of our failures and selfishness and the evil, awful things that we've done so that on that day when we stand before him, it's deliverance. It's joy. It's like right on. Judgment taken, judgment affected in the resurrection of Christ. We know that judgment has been accepted. It's been satisfied. We're free. There's no reason to be concerned. But the question is, how does he make that determination? Because as we're going to see in the story, he looks forward to that moment. He got everybody, he's got everybody and everyone in front of him, right? And then he separates humanity into two groups. Those who had true and authentic saving faith in him, he's going to put them over here. And those who did not have true and authentic and saving faith in him, and he's going to put them over here. And how is it that he determines who goes where? By what we do. By how we live. So it's what we did and didn't do. It's what we did and didn't say. It's where we did and didn't go. It's how that faith came to expression in our life or it didn't come to expression in our life, in which case it didn't exist. That's the idea. And nobody's going to be able to argue with him in that day. Why? Not just because he's the king, not just because he's God, not just for that reason, but because we all know instinctively that what we do out here accurately reveals who we are in here. Now, I understand we get more subtle as we get older, you know? Like when you're three and you don't get the candy, you fall on the ground in publix and you humiliate your parents and, oh, okay, fine, fine, you just buy it, you know, just to end the humiliation. We don't do that when we're 33. I, I get that. But we can only hide it so well. We can't hide it from the person we're married to. We can hide it when we're dating. That's it. We get married, there's nowhere to run. Now it's going to come out, you're going to see that I'm selfish. You're going to see that I'm this, I'm that. I Occasionally I'm going to... Can you hide it from the one who is all of the time present in your life and who sees not only what you do out here, but what you think in here, what your motivations are in here? There's no hiding 
What we do out here reflects who we are in here. And so what Jesus is going to say to us with this intense story is he's going to say, listen, here's the deal about real faith. Real faith is visible. And if Jesus Christ is alive by the power of the Holy Spirit in your heart, man, if he is the one sitting on the throne of your life, then his passions, his values, his what? His character, his nature, his priority, his power, his gifting is going to be an ever-increasing measure present in your life. Not all at once, not perfectly, not nearly as consistently as you what? You want it to be, but you want it to be, which is evidence itself of faith. He's not in here, you don't care. You fall down, he comes back, he picks you up, he dusts you off, he forgives you, that's what the cross is all about. Invites you to continue now to follow him. Look, we stop, we stall, we go backwards. I get that. But you can't have Jesus in here and never show anything out here. It just, it's not possible. Okay, do we need to breathe? You ready? Ooh, just breathe it out. Just breathe it out. Okay, seatbelts on. Here we go. Looking forward to the last day, Jesus says this in Matthew 25, verse 31. He says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and now imagine this, and all the angels with him. Not like five of the angels, and he's like calls the CNN crew together and says, look, put this out to the world. I want you to see what these guys are like. Just know there's a lot more of them. He's like, no, no, no. The whole audience of heaven is coming for this. Whoa. (laughs) When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne, and before him will be gathered all the nations throughout all of history for judgment, and he will separate people one from another into two groups, those who have authentic faith in him and therefore for whom judgment has already been affected, paid, satisfied. Those who haven't. He says he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. But why? Because you were saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in me, Jesus Christ alone? Answer, yes. Absolutely yes. But how does he know it? How do I know it? How do you know it? Because real faith is visible. So he points to what was visible. He says, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me in. You know what? I was naked and you clothed me. Good grief. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him and and they'll be incredulous. Like, what are you talking about? When did this happen? Saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? We did that for a lot of other people. When did we do this for you? And now notice how Jesus identifies with the downcast. Notice how Jesus identifies with the suffering. Notice how Jesus identifies with the oppressed, with the people that can't do anything in return for whatever it is that you do for them. It's beautiful. The king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. 
And then the king will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Let's stop. This is a good time out, please. Just take that in for a second. Breathe. It's good. Let the belly go out. Let me read it again. Then the king will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, in the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And why? Because you did not have faith, right? Like you were not saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and me, Jesus Christ alone, in, in the perfect life that I lived in your behalf, in the, in the atoning sacrifice, the, the sufficient sacrifice that I, in my life, willingly gave. Like you did not have me alive in you. Yes, that's the right answer. That is why. But where's the evidence? Like, how does he know that? And he points to that which, well, would have been visible, and the absence of which was visible. He says, for I was hungry, and I'm sorry, but you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me naked, and you did not clothe me sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. And then they also will answer, and with, you know, great incredulity and I mean, I'm not sure deep breathing is going to help at this point. And they'd say, Lord, you know, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Now, we ignored the needs of lots of other people, but you didn't. I mean, like we're looking at you now and this is memorable. Like I have never seen your face. So I'm pretty sure that I didn't ignore you. But then he will answer them saying, truly, I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. The message being that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, but not by a faith that is alone, but by a faith that if it exists, shows up in our lives. It shows up in the way that we live and the things that we say and the places we go and all the decisions we make and the values we we have. Perfectly? No, come on. But there's grace for that. All the time? Definitely not. Sometimes we're going backwards. But it shows up in ways that are visible. If Jesus is alive in here, then it is inescapably the case that he's going to show up out here. It's the way that it works. And it's not just the message of Jesus. It's all over the Bible. I think most famously it is stated by James, the brother of Jesus, the half-brother of Jesus. This man who was not at all a believer in Jesus, Jesus is his big brother until Jesus is risen from the dead and literally appears to him, which if you think about it, is about what it would take to convince you that your big brother is God, right? You suffered, you died, I saw that, you were buried, you're back from the dead, finally I'm in on what you're trying to get done here. That's it. Listen to what he says. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says that he has faith with his mouth but does not have works that manifest that faith in his life? And then he asks the question that we're dealing with today. He says, can that faith save him? Is it real? Is it authentic? Because when you start going through the New Testament, you find this again and again, like the Apostle Paul comes to us and he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new what? Creation. Shout it out when you got it. It's good. He's a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. 
James is like, yeah, what do you do with that? Like, as I'm thinking, if you're a new creation, the old is gone, the new has come, you shouldn't keep looking like you always once did. Nothing new, still all the old. Jesus comes and he says, I am the vine, you're the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, what's he going to do? He will bear much fruit. It's not even occasionally a little bit. James is like, okay, so can you abide in Christ? Can he be in you authentically and no fruit? None. Zero, nada. Jesus comes to the world. Here's his invitation. He says, follow me. He doesn't come to me and you and go, hey, I don't know. Where are you going? Can I tag along? Do you think that'd be okay? And I'll just follow you along. I just, no, no, no. Where, no, no. You, you decide. Where do you want to? Wait a minute. Who are we talking about here? When the king comes and he sits on his glorious throne. Jesus is Savior and Lord. And you know, the reality is we need to be rescued, not just from our sin. We need to be rescued from ourselves. Yeah, Lord, I got a lot of failure, and I right here on the cross, take it. I'm all in on that. You know what else, though? I've got a lot of foolishness. Can you give me your wisdom? I have a lot of things that I've been trying to find some kind of significance in, and, and they're not they're failing me. Can I have a new identity and find it in you? I'm chasing purpose in this and meaning in that, and I'm hoping when I get to my end of my life, I've done something that matters and will last, and all of these things I can't create for me, and you can't create for you. Jesus is like, listen, I made you. I've gifted you. I suffered and died for you. I forgive you. I live in you by my spirit. I shape and form your mind with my word, and I have the best plan, most fulfilling, most satisfying, most purposeful For you, like between the two of us, who do you think has the better plan for you, Jesus would say? The answer is obvious, but it requires us to deal with our idols. It requires us to lay down the things that we've been hanging on to for hope or for life or for joy or for satisfaction, all of which will fail in the end. Jesus is like, let me rescue you from your sin. Let me rescue you from you. Abundant life in this life. Eternal life in the next life. James is like, all right, so Jesus says, follow me, which means that by definition, followers of Jesus follow Jesus. It's simple math, honestly. And he's like, all right, so can you be a follower of Jesus if you're like, he's going that way and you're like, and I'm not talking about every once in a while because we do that. You know what, Lord, I'm going to take a break. I got a little excursion. Okay, that was miserable. I'm coming back now forgives us. He receives us. He's like, come on, let's go. Been waiting for you right here. This is where we left off. But just never follow. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says that he has faith with his mouth, but does not have works that manifest, that authenticate, that give evidence to the reality of that faith in his life? Can that faith save him? And now notice the analogy that he makes because he analogizes saving faith to something you can see. He says, for if a brother or a sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you, what, says with your mouth to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, (laughs) without also giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Well, what good is it? It's no good. Everybody knows it. We automatically, we're like, oh, yeah, that's dumb. Don't do that. Don't even say anything. Like, don't, no platitudes. Don't even mention that you're a Christian. Like, just leave all that stuff out. Like, Go in peace, be warmed and filled. 
guy's like starving. What good is that? And then he closes the loop. He says, so also faith that you claim to have with your mouth, but that is by itself. If it does not have works to back up that claim, it's not a sick faith, it's not a weak faith, it is a dead faith. You can't be a new creature and have nothing new show up in your life. You can't abide in Christ and have him in you and bear no fruit whatsoever. You can't be a follower of Jesus who never follows Jesus. And I think never is a big word. If Jesus is alive in here, it's going to show up out here in ways that you and that I and that he can see. That's the whole idea. James concludes this part of his argument in verse 18. And he says this, and it's brilliant. He says, but some will say. Now, what is he saying? He's like, oh, guys, I know. I know because I'm one of you. Like, I know you're going to want to argue with this. And I already know what the argument is. He goes, and some will say, you have faith and I have works. In other words, some are going to want to take faith and put it over here and separate it entirely from works. We'll just put that over here. He's like, yeah, all right. So let's do this, he says. Show me your faith apart from your works. It's like a dare, you know. He's going, go ahead. I got time. Sits down, pours himself a cup of coffee. Got anything yet? How are you going to show me the reality of your faith apart from your life? What else can you turn to? Like, what else is there? He's like, there's nothing. You can't do it. He says, show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works, and you'll be able to see it. Why? Because real faith is visible. And man, did he show it. I mean, I realize, you know, that he was the brother of Jesus. I realize that he's one of the pillars and founders of the first century church. I get it. But it showed up in his life in a whole host of ways that even today we're aware of. They said that his knees were like the knees of a camel. That's not really super sexy. Can we agree on that? Like, if somebody came, you know, like to your wife and said, you have knees like a camel, you'd like Will Smith them, right? You just like... You can't do that. You can't say that. What are you wrong? What's wrong with you? What does that mean? It means that they were, they were calloused from doing what? From doing this. From his prayer life. Pretty remarkable. This guy, according to tradition, was taken up onto the pillar of the temple and given the opportunity to recant, in which case he did not was thrown off, and not from a small height. I mean, like, if you stand up there and you look down, you think, you're a dead man, which is what they assumed. And I'm sure it about killed him, but it didn't completely kill him. So you know what he did? He got up on his knees, and he prayed for the people who threw him off, and he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. Does that sound familiar? He got that straight out of the mouth of his big brother. And then they stoned him to death. I don't know if you've ever read the book of James. I'd encourage you to read it. Just start it this afternoon. It's like, you know, five or six chapters. Not long. Really practical. Really good. It is like, here's how to live out your faith. It's like the Proverbs of the New Testament. It's a remarkable, amazing book. And I'm positive that he did not do it perfectly. None of us do. Not consistently all the time. And we don't do that very well either. But Jesus was in here. And he came out here. Here's the deal. That's the way it works. Not with some people, 
with everyone. Martin Luther, who is the man who perhaps more than anyone in the entire history of the Christian church or the human race has come to us and taught us that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, and that we add nothing to the work of Christ by which we have been gifted the favor of God. Nevertheless, listen to what he says, and he uses the word religion, but he's talking about faith that saves. He says a religion or a faith that gives nothing, costs nothing, and suffers nothing is ultimately worth nothing. Why? Because it isn't real. He's saying, hey, real faith? Okay, so real faith gives. And not just money. It gives time. It gives energy. It gives abilities. and It invests in the kingdom. Real faith gives. Why does real faith give? Because through real faith, Jesus lives in here. And if Jesus lives in here, it's going to show up out here. And what is Jesus? By his very nature, he is generous. Real faith is costly. It recognizes that Christ, by his blood, doesn't purchase some small part of us. He purchases 100% of us. The total package. He gets the whole of us. And you know what? As we work out our lives, as we learn to follow him, as we live out his purposes and plans, at times that's costly. But just like it was for the joy that was set before Jesus that he endured the cost of the cross. And the joy, by the way, was relationship for forever with you. Look, as we come to know Jesus, as his heart becomes our heart, it becomes our joy to lay things down. It becomes our joy to give things away. It becomes our joy to surrender to whatever his plan is for our lives. Because you know what? We need to be saved from ourselves and he's got a better plan. And then lastly, Luther is going, yeah, and real faith suffers. It suffers the indignity that is ours when we identify with Jesus, the embarrassment that can be ours when we identify with Jesus. Those awkward, uncomfortable moments when we come to somebody and go, hey, I don't know where you're going to church on Easter, or do you want to come to Alpha, but I'd like to invite you. Oh, so you're one of those people. Yeah. But real faith suffers in the knowledge that the sufferings that we endure for Jesus in this life will end the same way that his did. What is that? It's an eternal glory. Eternal being the key word. It just goes on forever. It's very different from the, from the very short life that we live here in which, you know, one day you're five and then the next day you realize you're a Rio classic. And um, I'm sorry, I'm still working that through. That's be talking about that with my counselor in a week. I, A religion or a faith that gives nothing, costs nothing, and suffers nothing is ultimately worth nothing. And you know what? You didn't need the Bible to tell you that. You didn't need me to tell you that. You didn't need Luther to point that out. You already knew it, didn't you? What we do out here reflects who we are in here. Real faith is visible. So take a breath for a second. I got two questions, and we're done, okay? Question number one is when you look at your life, do you see your faith? Do you see it? And, you know, maybe it manifests itself in in little ways, or maybe it's like, oh, my goodness, I am a dramatically different person. Yes, I can see it. You know, I I run into people who are like, man, I've come to church like six Sundays in a row. I've never done that before, like in my whole life. And I would have never thought that I would have ever done any. 
It doesn't have to be some grandiose thing. You don't need to go found some ministry somewhere. Like, that's not what I'm talking about. Like, do you see your faith? Do you see it showing up in the fruit of the character of Jesus? Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, humility, generosity, all of these things. Do you see your faith? Last question. What is the next step of faith for you? And I guess really kind of as a corollary to that is, and will you take it? And maybe the next step of faith for you is just to go, hey, man, I don't think about this stuff. Like, I never think about this stuff. I didn't really enjoy the whole judgment scene thing. That was super intimidating, and the breathing didn't work for me. So I didn't like that, and I'd like to not go there again if we can. But what you're telling me is that this this God loves me so much that he sent his son into the world to be judged for all of my wrongdoing in my place. So that in that day, there's not a thing to be feared. Oh, and by the way, not only does he save me from my failures, but he'll take my life over. And I've lived about enough to realize that that's a good idea. Wonderful, that's your step. You know, maybe you're here today and you're like, I don't know that I'm ready to do that. And by the way, if you are ready, we're going to be up here after the service. We'll come talk, you know, come talk to us and we'll pray with you and talk with you. Love to do that. Um, but maybe you're like, I'm, you know, it's going a little faster than I'm looking for, but I'm willing to take that journey. Come to Alpha. It starts the Thursday after Easter and it's the perfect place to take that journey. Or maybe you realize today that you're a follower of Jesus who has followed Jesus, but you're not following him right now. And you need to stop and go, you know what? What am I doing? This ain't working for me. It's not doing for me what I thought it would. I just need to turn around and realize as we sang, the Lord traces you back through all your failures. Follows you into your darkness. Picks you up, dusts you off, invites you back. Come on, let's go. We're going this way. You're going to love this. This is great. Let's... Let's go this way. Or maybe you're kind of following, but it's at a distance. Like you can see him, but every once in a while he turns a corner and you're like, wait, did he go right or left? Or, you know, you got to run up there and there he is. And it's time to take your spiritual life seriously. To step it up. To dedicate the time and whatever else it takes to grow in your relationship with Jesus and come to hear his voice and understand him. My sheep know my voice. You know the voice of people you know. So it's time to get to know him. There's a whole host of ways to do that here. But when you look at your life, do you see your faith? And what's the next step for you? And will you take it? Okay, was that too intense? Was it okay? Depends on who you are, right? Oh, no. All right, let's do something better than breathing. Let's pray, okay? Oh, Father, we pray and we we come to you this morning and we are so grateful uh, for the reason uh, that we can breathe physically, spiritually, emotionally, and otherwise. Um, The Lord Christ who has created us and who has recreated us in him. Jesus, would you come and and speak to us a word of comfort. Come and minister to our hearts. Give us the humility that we need to simply surrender to you and to say, you know what, Lord, I, I got stuff that needs to be forgiven. I, 
I need to be forgiven and I need to be led. Forgive me, lead me. Come into my heart, come into my life, fill me with your spirit. Bring me into community with people who can kind of walk me through your word and explain these things to me that I've never really considered. Shine your light into my darkness. Lord, come. Or give me perhaps the humility I need to realize I've left you and I need to go back. God, we're grateful that when we turn, there you are. Waiting, not in condemnation, not to chastise us, not to say, I told you so, not, but waiting to embrace us in love and in mercy and kindness and tenderness and in grace. Lord, come and claim us and make us yours. And do this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.